Last week we read about Abram and Abram who became Abraham and his faith, his trust in the purposes of God and his obedience to those purposes. And we read how Paul took uh, the strength of his faith and trust and understood it to be a type for the way he understood the centrality of faith in the words and works of Jesus Christ. And we also read in the Gospel of Mark about how uh, Jesus said that we need to take up our cross and follow the Savior and focused on the fact that perhaps the best way to appropriate this for the season of Lent is not to think about the great and the grand suffering. Some people would prefer to think about the great and the grand suffering that they're called to endure, but that perhaps the location for spiritual improvement lies in the ordinary and commonplace challenges and frustrations that all of us face on a daily basis. I thought after reading the readings this week, um, I'll just make a quick comment about the gospel. You notice that, well, we didn't read the chapter number, but uh, in John's gospel, the cleansing of the temple occurs at the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. And in the synoptic tradition, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it occurs uh, towards the end. And I think it's the opinion of most New Testament scholars that the cleansing of the temple is the thing that got him arrested and tried. That's what caused his arrest. Um, But I want to preach on the Ten Commandments. So this sermon is going to be the Ten Commandments 101, since we read them uh, as the first reading today. So maybe we'll talk about things like uh, the origin of the Ten Commandments. Do the Ten Commandments have any value in 2012? How did the Ten Commandments sort of creep into the Christian faith and life? What are some of the ways that we can interpret uh, the commandments as of some use uh, to us these days as central? Um, The Ten Commandments loom large in Christianity. Certainly in Anglican Christianity, the Ten Commandments have always been part of our liturgical expression. In a lot of English parishes, uh, country churches, you can go in and see the Ten Commandments on either side of the chancel in the sanctuary, posted the Ten Commandments. I remember when I was first an Episcopalian, I heard a sermon at Grace Cathedral by a canon of St. Paul's Cathedral in London. His name was Freddie Hood. He pronounced his name Freddie Hood. And I suspect he was one of those Englishmen who had began to copy his uh, public school tutor, even if he had a speech impediment, you know. (laughs) Not an unusual occurrence. In any case, he talked about going on a church crawl through the wilds of equatorial Sussex. (laughs) And he gets to some small parish, and he goes in, And posted on either side of the chancel, in this case, was not the Ten Commandments, but the Table of Kindred and Affinity from the 1662 Book of Common Prayer. You know, uh, who you can marry and who you can't marry. And so, underneath the line that said, 
A man may not marry his grandmother, some acolyte 50 years before had penciled in, Lord, have mercy upon us and incline our hearts to keep this law. (laughs) I mention it because that's what we used to respond to the Ten Commandments when they were read at the liturgy and the congregation responded, Lord, have mercy upon us and incline our hearts to keep this law. So uh, the Ten Commandments are probably far more important than the table of kindred and affinity, and how it ever got up there, I have no idea, unless the place may have been a wedding mill. I, you know, it's just, it's just hard to know. The Ten Commandments occur in two places. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, where we don't, read that, we don't actually read that version very often, and the one we read today, which is from Exodus 20. And they're virtually identical, although there are some small differences. For example, in the uh, Exodus 20 version of the the, uh, commandment about the keeping of the Sabbath is uh, exclusively uh, focused on uh, our duty to God. And in the Deuteronomy version, the keeping of the Sabbath has both uh, keeping our duty to God clear but also it has some humanitarian significance, that the reason we do that uh, has humanitarian, uh, positive humanitarian effects. When I was in seminary and was uh, taught uh, the fever swamps of the modern biblical critical method, there was um, a lot of uh, hesitation about saying that the Ten Commandments were written by Moses. The tradition, with a capital T, says that Moses wrote the Ten Commandments. But you'll be pleased to know that in the last uh, 35 years or so, uh, there's been a wide range of scholarly opinion and articles and books written that now leans back again uh, to the Mosaic authorship and suggests that there's much information that would, could be supplied to support what the tradition with a capital T says about that. Here's how it got all murky. Uh, There are many, many legal codes in the ancient Near East, and we possess a number of them. Obviously, Egypt had a set, you know, Babylon. They have a a whole lot of these legal codes. But there are some differences between them and the Ten Commandments. The, The Ten Commandments are unique. Um, here's how in one sense, if you're in Italy, at least when I've been in Italy and ridden on the train in some places, there'll be a sign in some lo- that, that will say, um, it is unwise to lean out the window while the train is moving. If you ride a train in Germany, there'll be a sign that will say, It is forbidden to lean out the window while the train is moving. Right? In the ancient codes that aren't the Ten Commandments, we have, uh, if you do this, then this might happen. Or this could probably happen. The Ten Commandments say, thou shalt or "Thou, thou shalt not. So the joke that you've heard before when someone says, the Ten Commandments are not, 
the ten suggestions, they're correct about the way in which uh, they are voiced in the text in terms of their in terms of their importance. Whenever we read the Ten Commandments, we have to understand when we think about the Mosaic authorship that Moses, uh, that Moses then was interpreting the Ten Commandments and wrote the Ten Commandments uh, from the standpoint of saying, I wish to assert uh, our radical monotheism, the belief in the one God. So if you were somebody who just had to insist on this, that somehow God whispered in Moses' ear, you know, a lot of people think that's the way uh, God reveals himself to people, you know. Uh, Charlton Heston. When I was a kid, my mother took my brother Edward and me to the San Carlos Theater to see the Ten Commandments. And we were watching the Ten Commandments, and Charlton Heston got on the mountain, and all of a sudden, a laser beam came down and carved out the Ten Commandments. If God has spoken to any of you that way, please see me immediately after <laughs> this liturgy. I want to know! You know, God comes to people in the ordinary and the commonplace... Why do you think we had to have the Ten Commandments? What do you do with a bunch of people who leave slavery in Egypt and start wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years? How are we going to get along together? What are the ways in which we understand the nature of community? How do we hold people to integrity both in terms of their uh, motives and also their behavior and actions? And so the Ten Commandments, in some sense, flow from a first principle which believes in the one God and the one God's absolute um, possession of a people that he believes now are going to follow him and to observe the covenant that he has made with their ancestor Abraham. And how do we understand this? I should say something else, too, about this wandering in the wilderness. Uh, Jerry Witherspoon, a parishioner at St. Jude's Church in Cupertino. He was a West Point guy, a colonel. And um, he said to me once, you know, I decided I was reading the Bible and I was reading about the Exodus and the people of Israel going, uh, you know, to the promised land and so forth. And I thought, you know, I'm going to try to do a little figuring here based on my military training how long would it take to have the people of Israel leave Egypt? Men, women, children, animals, all their supplies, the food, just take the stuff with them, how you get it all worked out and fixed up and ready to go. How long would it take for them to get to Egypt to the promised land? And he said, I figured that the worst case scenario would be about three weeks. What are they doing in the wilderness for 40 years? Well, the biblical witness talks about this because it is an example, both personal and corporate, of how you and I wander around 
internally, emotionally, spiritually, and mentally, and corporately and community-wise with crackpot ideas, down cul-de-sacs, belief in getting tangled up with certain religious traditions that turned out to be zero, believing things that are just loony, and trying to make sense out of what it is we ought to do with our lives. And there's a lot of wandering around that takes place. It's a metaphor for that kind of spiritual, emotional, and mental confusion. And the Bible speaks about how that has been something that has been part of how humankind has wrestled with God's presence in their lives. So the 40 years is something that gives us an idea of how it finally came that the people of Israel got some clarity about who they were and what God wanted them to do. By the way, this is a positive affirmation of your personal struggle. If you think in your life it has just taken you too long to get any insight about anything, don't feel like the Lone Ranger. It happens. This is what we said at our baptism that we were going to follow the Savior on the way. A journey. So reading about these texts are very important in light of what Christians have taught about all this. The Ten Commandments came into the Western Christian tradition big time through St. Augustine. And it was always used as a catechetical tool, some sort of a a moral and ethical basis for the way in which we ought to do things uh, in our lives. I mean, I think the Ten Commandments do actually have some value. And they are important. How then should we live? The other thing I need to say is that the Ten Commandments are hardly a complete list. I mean, if you think you've kept all of the Ten Commandments consistently, uh, you're not in the clear, necessarily. There there may be some other things that uh, we need need to talk about. Some of those who say, well, this is an ancient code. I don't know whether we ought to have a more profound and detailed uh, discussion of morals and ethics in in terms of that sort of thing and how are we going to do it. I mean, when you say, thou shalt not worship any other gods. Well, Moses and the people wandering in the wilderness meant when you're wandering in the wilderness and you run into the Gergeshites and the Jebusites and the Hittites and all these people and you you marry into those communities and the husband and the wife says, sweetheart, let's just set up a little... Ashtaroth in the tent. It can't hurt, and it might help. Right? That's not what we're talking about anymore, but uh, you know the issues of uh, money, power, prestige, success, overweening self-confidence in uh, who you are. You know, my, in my family, particularly my grandparents, they couldn't understand why anybody would want to live differently than they did. They were absolutely baffled that everybody wouldn't want to be like them and all their friends. Right? 
You're playing golf on Wednesdays and you're going out this, you vote for Eisenhower. You do, why wouldn't you want to do that? And you decide you want to go, you take a left turn somewhere and you don't want to do that? It just seems loony to me. You know? And that kind of smugness, which may never have acted itself out in any kind of outrageous behavior, was a smug, self-satisfied view that this is the way, and we have reached now uh, the absolute homeostasis. No more change is necessary. We can just now move forward. You know? And there are various stratum of American life that are just like that. And that, my friends, is a false god. The sooner it goes, the better. And maybe the Ten Commandments are going to help in that regard. These things threaten our need for proper rest, time to worship, the stewardship of our resources. And I do have to say that murder, adultery, stealing, lying, and coveting are probably as present now as they have ever been. They haven't gone anywhere. But there's nothing in here, is there, about hardness of heart? about smugness, about uh, thinking uh, other people are not, that aren't like you are somehow less. All those things are there. But the Ten Commandments sort of provide us with a location for a reflection on those, those kinds of things. One of the biblical commentators that I read this week said, God has given us the Ten Commandments not to burden us with oppressive rules and laws in order to earn God's love, but as a sure way to demonstrate our gratefulness for the God who has already chosen, loved, and saved us. So take a peek at the Ten Commandments this week and see how you're doing. Amen.